go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Agent Scully, thank you for coming on such short notice. Please. How'd you come to work for the FBI? I saw the FBI as a place where I could distinguish myself. Are you familiar with an agent named Fox Mulder? He's an Oxford-educated psychologist who wrote a monograph on serial killers and the occult that helped catch Monty Props in 1988. Generally thought of as the best analyst in the violent crime section. Are you familiar with the so-called X-Files? I believe they have to do with unexplained phenomena. More or less. The reason you're here, Agent Scully, is we want you to assist Mulder on these X-Files. You will write field reports on your activities, along with your observations on the validity of the work. Major Mulder. I'm Dana Scully. I've been assigned to work with you. Oh, isn't it nice to be suddenly so highly regarded? So who did you take off to get stuck with this detail, Scully? If you have any doubt about my qualifications or credentials... You're a medical doctor. You teach at the academy. You did your undergraduate degree in physics. It's just that in most of my work, the laws of physics rarely seem to apply. Now, in convention, and science offer us no answers, might we not finally turn to the fantastic as a plausibility? my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're going to be looking into the x-files now uh, for those of, <laughs> for those of you on YouTube, you can see Bob's X file shirt. That's a cool green. <laughs> I really like that. You know, um, the shirt is actually from uh, T Public. Oh, nice! Or you can go and get your Planet Eight shirts if you wish. There Please. you go. Please do. Plug plug. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I just we, have my, uh, my anti conspiracy shirt on. <laughs> that's good i i have my oh my san diego shirt sorry <laughs> um a lot of conspiracies down there in san diego yeah. that's right that's right 
but we're not talking about shirts this episode. We're talking about the X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in and of itself, our discussion about shirts is part of an X-File, I'm sure. Um, we're going to be looking at the first two seasons of the X-Files, and straight away we'll kick it over to Bob to give us a little background on uh, who started the X-Files, how that got uh, into our um, consciousness, and and uh, Bob, take it away. Uh, yeah, I, you know, this, this X-Files episode has been a long time coming. Oh, yeah. We're yes. talking about doing this for a long, long time. <laughs> Uh, in fact, we even started recording one and we couldn't agree on how many X-Files movies there were. And at that point, it's like, well, if we don't even know that, <laughs> then we better not do it right now. That's right. So then we were going to do, you know, that was when we were going to do the whole series. And then we were going to do the first four seasons. And even that was daunting. So we ended up deciding to do the first two seasons because really right. you know, X-Files is so rich in its stories its themes its character arcs its conspiracy theories it's just so much to get into so we're going to start today with the first two seasons and uh there we go so i had something jump up on my screen that shouldn't so maybe it's the government thing so i've got some notes we're going to talk a little bit about it and uh i don't have a desk lamp so i have to use a flashlight now it's not a neon, a seventy-five hundred dollar neon flashlight like they used to look, uh, use on the shows. There's more. Did like, you have to burn a hole in something with it? No. <laughs> oh, anyway, wow. so I have to use the flashlight to read my notes. But uh, anyway, Chris Carter was the mastermind behind the series. Now Chris grew up in Southern California in a town called Bellflower, which I had never heard of. Oh, yeah. I know Karen grew up down there. Have you heard of Bellflower? Oh, yeah, I heard of Bellflower. What right by of, Downey. What kind yeah. of area is that? It's, I mean, it's all that pseudo L.A. area. It's was south of where I grew up. So to me, it was all kind of like a mishmash. But uh, I'd heard of Bellflower. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bellflower, oh, yeah. Anaheim, uh, Norwalk. It's, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I spent a lot of time down in L.A., but I'd never heard of Bellflower. So anyways, he grew up in Bellflower. He was basically your typical blonde-haired surfer dude <laughs> and uh, went to CSU Long Beach. And uh, coming out of there, he actually started writing for Surfing Magazine. So not only was he a surfer, but he was writing articles on it. And uh, about four years after his college uh, graduation, he met and married uh, Dory Pearson. And Dory was actually a screenwriter and talked him into, you know, you should maybe go into screenwriting, try to write some movies and things. So uh, he was writing here and there, and his, his writing caught the eye of Jeffrey Katzenberg, who mm -hmm. I think everyone has heard of. Uh, at the mm -hmm. time, he was at Disney. And uh, he got he got Chris involved in Disney. He wrote some some things for like Brat uh, Brat Patrol and Meet the the um, Muncies. 
So I think I heard of Brat Patrol, but I don't know if I ever heard of Meet the Muncies before. But uh, yeah, he was he was writing for those, and at the time he was on a softball team. Now uh, he's just doing a pickup softball game, and on that same team was Brandon Tartikoff, who happened to be the uh, president of uh, NBC Entertainment. So they'd have games, and then they'd go off and they'd you know talk and and hang out, and uh, that's where Brandon found out that. Chris was a writer. So he said, okay, well, why don't you come on over to NBC? And uh, he went over there and uh, he wrote some things for uh, a show called Brand New Life, Rags to Riches, Cameo by Night. Again, you know, these things probably lasted like a month and went away. Uh, But while he was there, he also caught the eye, his writing caught the eye of uh, Peter Roth, who worked for a Stephen J. Cannell Productions. Uh, Stephen mm-hmm. J. Cannell did quite a few shows back then. Probably most notably in my mind would be Greatest American Hero. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. so he went over there and uh, and Roth, basically, Peter Roth ended up going over to 20th Century Fox and he brought Chris Carter along with him. And uh, he was one of a few producers that uh, Roth wanted to have come up with series ideas. And so uh, Carter grew up like many of us watching Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, a lot of horror sci-fi movies on the afternoon monster movie matinee type shows. And also a little TV series called Shack the Night Stalker. And he decided that he was going to pitch a show. He wanted to do a show. Basically, his only premise to start was he wanted to scare people. (laughs) So, you know, that's a a worthy endeavor. So he uh, sat down and started trying to come up with something that he thought would scare people. And he didn't want to fall into the trap of Kolshak because basically with Kolshak, he was a reporter that just happened to come across all these different things, whether they're vampires, werewolves, whatever. And then he'd, you know, do the research and do what he has to do. Well, that's kind of limited. You can't have a TV show that runs more than maybe a year where you just keep running into these things. So Carter was asking himself, well, what what premise can I come up with that allows these people to check things out? So it turns out that a very popular movie at that time was Silence of the Lambs. And Silence of the Lambs had a big FBI plot line in there. So he decided to, well, maybe do the FBI. And then he came up with the X-Files, a section of the FBI uh, that dealt with the occult. And uh, he basically started from there so he had had come up with characters he came up with uh fox Mulder. fox being a a name of a friend of his growing up Mulder being his mother's maiden name and then he brought he brought in uh dana scully now i don't know where dana came from i don't know if you guys read maybe but scully of course since he grew up down in la and I hate to admit this because I'm a Giants fan, but Scully came from announcer Vin Scully. Vin Scully. 
really? was the voice of the Dodgers, and yes. to many people in L.A., it was sort of the voice of God back then. Oh, yeah. So, was that? Oh, yeah. He was awesome. but Vince Scully was awesome no I mean I'm a Giants fan but I have all the respect in the world for Vince Scully I gotta say that great guy so anyways um, so he came in and uh, he needed to pitch the story ideas and uh, you know Peter Roth was definitely into it so uh, Roth and Carter basically met with uh, Bob Greenblatt who was the VP for dramatic series development at Fox. And they had a little network coming up. Now, if, you, if you're old guys like us, and you remember back then there was ABC, CBS, and NBC, and that was it. That was it for the major networks. So you had a couple fledgling companies that were trying to come up with a fourth network, Paramount being one of them. And we talked about that in some of our Star Trek episodes. But the other one was Fox. And Fox was able to get their network on the air. Now, unlike the three big networks, Fox had to go throughout the country and sign up stations to be Fox affiliates. So to begin with, they weren't in every single market all across the country. They were just starting out in small markets and building their way up. So they were more willing to kind of take a chance on something like the X-Files than one of the major networks would. And really, if you had the X-Files on, say, ABC, it would maybe last a season or two, and then audit would go. But on Fox, it had it had garnered just enough ratings to keep it going. And they had faith in it. But to start with, though, they did not have total faith. They just they decided, okay, go ahead, shoot a, shoot a pilot. And uh, they shot the pilot up in Vancouver because it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Greenblatt was very afraid of was that he didn't want it to be a comedy. He didn't want it to be like Kolshak. He didn't want it to be like American Werewolf in London. You know, he wanted something serious. And at the time, reality shows were really big, like Cops and things like that, America's Most Wanted. So they wanted a reality slant. So they got into that. And they also didn't want cheap effects. They didn't want it to be cheesy or cheap. And so off they went to Vancouver, shot it up there, got some uh, really good effects people, got the pilot together, showed it to Greenblatt and a bunch of people at, uh, at Fox, and it ended in just roaring applause. Everybody loved it, and uh, it went on from there. But um, casting for The X-Files was a different story. Uh, David Duchovny, uh, everyone agreed, would make a perfect Fox Mulder, and he had played an FBI agent, actually a trans FBI agent, in Twin Peaks, Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a little more acting background. And so they brought him in. But then Dana Scully, uh, Roth and Carter wanted to her, wanted her to be somewhat like Jodie Foster in Science of the Lambs. Whereas the network wanted something more, someone more voluptuous. They wanted a bombshell to be Dana Scully. And... Uh, Chris Carter ended up fighting against that 
vehemently and uh, finally talked them into going with Jillian Anderson as opposed to Pamela Anderson. Oh, God. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, But What's you have to agree about? that the two of them perfectly fit their characters and just the rapport they had. I mean, it's very hard to get a TV show together where the characters have instant rapport. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, very few, I mean, Star Trek was one, you know, there's very few series that really kind of hit on that. And I think the X-Files really did with, uh, Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny, who supposedly got, a, got along really well off screen as well. Cause they both have this kind of dry, bizarre sense of humor and, uh, got along really well. So, uh, when Fox put it on the air, though, they didn't have as much confidence in it. So they put it after what they thought was going to be a hit show, which was Briscoe County Jr. With, <laughs> with our favorite Bruce Campbell as a star. Mm-hmm. Now, Briscoe County Jr. lasted less than a season. Yep. Off they went. But X-Files continued and continued to uh, garner better ratings on its own. So whereas Briscoe County Jr. was supposed to be the lead-in series, X-Files became a lead-in series for whatever else they were bringing about on on the Fox network. So, um, you know, keep in mind back then, what Fox had what? They had like The Simpsons and Married with Children and Fox. Mostly comedies and reality yeah. shows. So, um, in fact, in the, in the pilot at the beginning, they put a little tag on there saying, you know, based on a true story, blah, 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 just to make it seem more of a reality thing. And it's also when the network wanted him to put Jillian Anderson or Dana Scully's narration at the beginning and at the end, which was sort of wrap things up and talk about things and make it seem more, you know, like an episode of cops or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, that continued for a while and then they finally dropped that. But, um, you know, it's, that's kind of how it came about, you know, in the pilot, there were a couple of characters that one had no lines, one had very few lines, but they became major parts of the series. And that would be agent Skinner, who was, uh, uh, Fox and Dana's boss, basically at the FBI and he was there. He had a couple lines, but his his character was so much so liked that they brought him back. The other one is the cigarette smoking man, also known as Cancer Man, and he had no lines. Not only in the first episode, but a few episodes after that, he was sort of a silent background character that was kind of seedy, and you didn't really know what was going on with him. But he was kind of the representative of that part of the of the government that had all the conspiracies going on and everything else in the background. So uh, he eventually got a lot of lines and became a major part of the series. And uh, Chris Carter basically referred to him as the devil. And his mm-hmm. comment was, you can't kill the devil. So he was kind of guaranteed a long run on the series. So that's <laughs> kind of how it came to be. Um, you know, I can say the way I discovered it 
was I didn't come in, you know, usually I sit here on the show. I saw that movie in the theaters or I was watching that since the first episode. Well, not with the X-Files. X-Files, I came in on uh, episode eight, which was called Ice. And uh, if you remember that episode, it was very much like John Carpenter's The Thing. Took place up in the Antarctic, and uh, they went up. Dana and Fox went up there, and uh, they're investigating. Basically, the uh, the people that scientists that populated it had all killed each killed each other off, and so they were going up there to spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert! Yes, many, many spoilers today. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they went up there to check that out and found out it was a a worm that was infecting everyone and it would make you uh violent, take away all your, you know, restrictions and make you violent. And, uh, so they, I can sit there and tell you the whole story, but I'll leave some to, for you to discover yourselves. But, um, that was the first one I saw. And I thought to myself, you know, yeah, it's kind of a rip off of the thing. And, you know, but the characters were kind of good. And, you know, it's kind of cool that they have this kind of a, TV show on. So I'll give it another chance, uh, you know, the following week and uh, watched it ever since, basically. And the more I watched it, the more I got hooked. So all leading up to this episode. But very cool. How did you, how did you guys discover the X-Files? Yeah. How'd you come across it? Walker, why don't you go next? Well, uh, oddly enough, and now I don't remember exactly why, but I was really looking forward to the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if it was just the idea of like, oh, you know, it's going to be a Western with some sci-fi elements and an adventure like an old time serial, Bruce Campbell, you know, for whatever reason, though, I thought, oh, this looks really cool. So I, I remember, you know, being excited to tune that in. And of course, back in the day where you, had to be there to watch it because you were not going to get another chance. Um, so yeah, sitting down and watching that. And I, I knew that the X-Files was following it. And my take at that time before it came on was like, oh, this looks kind of cheesy. Like they're trying to, you know, do something here to, to get, you know, uh, pull in all the people who are watching. I think they had a show called, UFO sightings or something like that was there. Yeah, that was on Fox as well. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, I'll watch it. And it wasn't like the first episode was like transformative for me, but it was good enough that I was like, oh, maybe, yeah, this isn't bad. I'll I'll watch it again. But the the tombs episode, the I think it was squeeze was Yeah, yeah. Right. It was like, oh, my God, what is this show? So then I really was like, wow, this is interesting. Plus the chemistry of the characters, like you were saying, Bob, they had an immediate chemistry that was apparent. And it was also interesting that he chose he, you know, he Chris Carter made one a believer and one a skeptic, but he chose to make the man the believer and the woman, the skeptic, which was kind of different, you know, typically like women are more portrayed as like having faith, being a believer or whatever. And the man is the rational scientific person. And they kind of swapped the roles a little bit, you know, so that was a little bit different, too. So just um, 
I think X-Files did a lot of things that we might take for granted now in television, but at the time seemed really um, unique and innovative. And so it quickly pulled me in and kind of left Briscoe in the dust. So, <laughs> Well, see, Fox was right in one aspect. At least they used Briscoe to like rope you in and yeah. bring you along. <laughs> but no, it's funny because um, in that episode, Ice, keep coming back to that, that's actually the first episode where you see like a major conflict between Mulder and Scully. Because mm. when they think that Mulder's infected and she's got to get him, you know, locked up in a room and that she pulls a gun on him and everything yeah. else. And, you know, you can tell she's still kind of on his side, but she's like, you know, get in that room, you know, that she wasn't going to take no for an answer. And the other interesting thing, too, about Scully is, yeah, she's a non-believer in all this stuff. Yeah. However, she wears a cross mm -hmm. and she is a believer in religion yeah it's, it's which i think is catholic because i i think she went to confession a few times and things mm -hmm. and talked to priests but um so yeah there is that kind of weird dynamic where she does not believe in one thing but she does believe in another thing that right. some people would consider mythology or whatever well i think a core aspect of the x-files you know people always talk about ufos and monsters and but i think the core thing is about belief really mm -hmm. Mulder is very focused on sort of he, it's not like his poster doesn't say I believe it says I want to believe so it means he he's not fully there right he still needs evidence he still needs proof right so he wants to believe and then Scully is skeptical but she has like her faith so she does believe you know in certain things and she is right there with Mulder in that she needs evidence as well. And so it all kind of focuses around this thing around belief, around uncovering the truth, you know, whatever the truths might be. They And they could be spiritual truths or they could be truths about reality. But it's all about belief and, and truth, I think, on that. And, and it's a hard, th it's a hard the thing to write, too, because, you know, you go through the course of the first two seasons that we're talking about and over and over Scully does not believe yeah. it's like, you just seen all this stuff. You've experienced all this. How can you still not believe, you know, but she's still there to be the counterweight, I guess, to Mulder and all his, cause he's ready to believe anything at any time right away. And Scully's always, you know, the one who has kind of reeling back in and, throw some water on his yeah. on his uh, ideas. I think, yeah, the, the difference between what you believe and what you have faith in, you know, if, if you do a certain amount of research, is that faith or is that belief? If you witness something, is that belief or is that faith? And that mm -hmm. was the dichotomy between Scully and Mulder that worked so well throughout the show. You know, and, and there are some episodes where they flip things where he had the faith and she had to believe and, you know, figure things out. Um, it was just a great, great chemistry, like we were saying, between the two actors. Um, it's hard to, you know, as they say, lightning in a bottle, very hard yeah. to come across. Mm -hmm. uh, so how did you discover the X-Files? You know, I, I, 
I became a Bruce Campbell lover later in life. I, I had no interest in Briscoe County uh, whatsoever. But, you know, I'm a kid that grew up in the 70s. So in search of Noah's Ark, uh, in search of with Leonard Nimoy, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, the Night Gallery, Twilight Zone, all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, I just love. And um, I can't remember how I heard about the X-Files, but um, I, I was there. I, I the, the pilot, the way that they filmed it was like this strange kind of video where, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, reality, and it, but, but it wasn't, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it did not disappoint. I mean, I'm a fan also of the... Uh, for those of you, I may have talked about this before, back in 75, the UFO incident with mm-hmm. uh, Betty and, and Barney Hill, well-documented, uh, you know, uh, abduction, alien abduction. And, you know, one of the things that was kind of funny is I'm watching, we're watching the, the first two seasons and um, it was a lot easier getting back into the episodes where you wanted to watch episode after episode i just didn't have time so i had to kind of pick and choose but there there's always or a lot of times there's a forest with a huge light in the background casting a shadow yeah <laughs> it's kind of comical but it really works to set the mood um the other thing i want to say is uh mark snow uh-huh. his music is just uh, a, a whole nother character in the series to me, you know, mm. um, just episode after episode after episode, really, really like uh, did justice to the whole show. But um, yeah, I matter of fact, uh, Karen and I would talk about this frequently uh, growing up together in our <laughs> formative years. Adult. Well, that's the thing about uh, Mark Snow. It, it was Mark Snow. I mean, it was him with keyboards and what have you. It wasn't like a huge orchestra or symphony or whatever that was doing the right. soundtrack for this thing. And that was kind of, you know, Hollywood was going cheap back then, and they were using a lot of, you know, synthesizer soundtrack stuff. And a lot of it sounds like a guy on a keyboard. But yeah. Snow was able to take it beyond that so you know you could if you want to believe it was more than one guy then you can but yeah you know uh chris carter used to go over all the time and listen to soundtracks to different episodes and you know give him some ideas and things but um yeah did you did you see any of the uh there's an extra on one of the blu-rays about how he came up with the theme song yes that was hilarious. That was brilliant. You, Karen, you want to tell well, the story? Or? I think it was uh, Chris Carter who suggested to him that he wanted sort of that twangy sound from the Smiths' How Soon Is Now. And so he was like listening to it. But what he got interested in was the whistling part of the song. And so that's sort of what he took from it was the whistling. And then, of course, you, in the theme, you know, how you, I can't whistle, so I can't do it. <laughs> that, you know, if one of you guys can whistle, you can do it. 
I can't whistle that well. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what happened. Instead of doing the one part, he listened to the song and he heard the other part and he was like, oh, I like that part. And so he he took that. Yeah, I mean, Mark Snow was saying, though, that he was trying to figure out a counter to it. And he actually accidentally leaned on the keyboard and it was hooked up to this like echo and the background that's what came out when he like leaned on the keyboard and he's like that sounds pretty good (laughs) so he put that behind the sort of whistling in the foreground sometimes he he thought it was so good he went (laughs) (laughs) happy accidents best i could do yeah and you know it's funny too like you were mentioning bob how uh, there was so much resistance to casting Julian Anderson because they wanted some sex pot. But then like a few years later, she was voted like TV's sexiest woman or something. So it's. Oh yeah. She was like the crush of every geek boy back then. Right. So it's kind of, um, yeah, ironic, I suppose. Well, truth be told, I thought they cast Lonnie Anderson. And so that's the real reason why. <laughs> Some people, Pamela Anderson there and Lonnie Anderson and then Jillian Anderson. Man, that's a name I haven't heard in probably a couple of decades. <laughs> Lonnie Anderson. Wow. Yeah. Lonnie Anderson. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> well, so, so I mean, they, be, they definitely did not want it to become the UFO show. Right. Have them chasing flying saucers, the whole thing, the whole series. So after the first couple episodes, which were very flying saucer UFO heavy. And and very good, too. I mean, that was some good UFO mythology in there. But, yeah, they definitely, after those, though, that's when they came up with Jeffrey Toombs. Right. Eugene. Eugene Toombs. Eugene. That was like one of the early episodes i mean yeah after the pilot and then the second episode and Um, uh yeah for people who don't know mr tombs basically could contort and contract and fit through anything yeah pipes or ducts or whatever and every 30 years he would return to eat livers basically so, you know, later it doesn't on. sound that great, but it was a great episode. Oh, no. I mean, well, that's the thing, because like when Carter and Roth were trying to pitch the series, Greenblatt agreed that you have to have faith because it's such a hard series to describe. Yeah. You know, and make it sound more interesting than, than you know, than it could have been. But uh, but yeah, with Eugene Toombs, though. I mean, at the end, the freakiest thing about the episode is at the end, they find his nest. And it's like old, like newspapers and stuff all held together with bile. His own bile. His own bile. And uh, Mulder has to go in there to get him. And uh, Chris Carter was telling a story about the fact that the actor who played Eugene Toombs to get into the character and for the method, the character is supposed to be naked and he's wanted to do it naked. And they had him covered in all this, you know, fake bile and whatever. And uh, he said, David Duchovny was legitimately scared 
<laughs> he was supposed to look scared, but he was legitimately scared because he's being chased through this nest by a greased up naked actor. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, no, I was. You got to earn that money. You, right. you bet. You, you know, <laughs> one of the standout things on that episode to me is the the way that the screws they don't even show tombs just the oh. screws from the air vent or the heating duct are <laughs> are being unscrewed from inside so there's not a screwdriver mm-hmm. turning it it's mm-hmm. and then you, you know you'll see like the fingers like stretch and at one point i think they lift a fingerprint that's like the stretched out yeah fingerprint and there's mr believe you know oh look at this scully and scully's like well Mulder, it could have had this or that or you know and these were all, you know, I mean, they had some computer-generated effects in there, but a lot of it was was practical effects still. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's one scene where Toombs is crawling down a chimney, and they got an actual contortionist to double for him mm. and squeeze his way in. And then they have a shot of him elongating his arm, where basically they just had him at the uh, opening of the chimney, reaching through, and with the camera, <laughs> it looked like his fingers were stretching out and everything was contorting. But um, for those well, of it you was an excellent YouTube, episode. For what? those of you watching YouTube, you could see Bob's hands stretching towards Not- you. That's right. Uh, Bob <laughs> Eugene Toons. <laughs> he's, he's enacting his inner tunes. Well, yeah, that actor it's- was really good. I mean, oh, yeah. Doug Hutchison... Um, he he could really because like if you just looked at him if he wasn't in the the uh, Eugene Toombs getup and everything he looks like one of the most mild mannered people you would ever see you know <laughs> but but when they flip a switch on him and he becomes the Toombs guy there's just something about him that raises your hackles immediately. Like, you know, there's yeah. something wrong with this guy. Well, the scene that Larry was describing, once the grate comes off and he comes through that grate, just right. they have a, a quick shot of like his head and his face and his hand. And scary as hell. It, it, yeah, it really was. <laughs> and then And then he comes out. He just kind of like slithers his way out of there. But um, it's funny because in real life, I do a lot of like audiovisual install and stuff. So I'm a lot of times I'm climbing under, crawling under tables and climbing through ducts and things to run cables. And every once in a while, I'll say, well, I'm going to tombs my way up through here. <laughs> to this day, I, I use that. Some people nice. get it. Some people don't. But <laughs> I'm going to have um, to tombs this one. You know, one of the things I, I say to and I use my wife, Jasmine, uh, Lieutenant Jasmine, uh, as kind of like a gauge. Do, do movies from 50s, 60s, 70s still have that impact, that punch, that surprise or this TV show? And um, Jasmine's fallen in love with the Twilight Zone. We watch Twilight Zone almost every night. But it's it's a wonderful thing to relive these episodes. And, and a lot of stuff I forget because it's been a decade or more since I watched the X-Files, but through her eyes and she's jumping and she's like, you know, about to throw up because he's licking his bile on his newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, But he, he was, 
popular enough they brought him back for another episode not the next episode but later in the season towards the end isn't that funny to think about seasons uh that are that long because now like everything's like eight to ten episodes right they film everything and they have it all filmed before any of the episodes ever go on air but back in those days you could you could start filming and start getting feedback about how you were doing before you finished your season, you right, know? Right. Well, um, that was the thing, because back then seasons were like 26, 27 episodes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at Star Trek. It was, what, 70-something episodes, but it was only... 79. 79 episodes. Was enough like for syndication. The, the rule of syndication, which kind of went the way of the dodo with all these, you know, cable channels and... and right. And, and binge things. And, and uh, you know, yeah, it's like... Yeah, because like like I said, I came in at episode eight. So I had to kind of wait until summertime when they would do these summer reruns mm-hmm. and catch up on the first, you know, seven episodes. So uh yeah, and so um I don't know, was what are some other kind of stand up episodes? They had one on the Jersey Devil. I, I was gonna say the Jersey Devil was kind of a fun one. That was interesting. Um, it didn't go the the route you might predict. No, right. And, and that was the you know the other thing I want to say real quickly before we get into Jersey Devil. I like the episodes that start without Scully or Mulder. It's just mm-hmm. like whatever's happening to the person that's gonna right. may right. or may not be part of the episode. You know that that's the brilliance to me of the Bond films. It's like mm-hmm. James is doing something with something else, and then the story picks up. They did this brilliantly throughout the series, um, but the Jersey Devil, uh, you know, they're they're uh, out there investigating as they do. And uh, uh, Bob, what did you think? It it was a good twist, you know, and you know, it's basically. I think Mulder more than Scully in that episode, right? He's pretty much hanging out with the homeless people and mm-hmm. trying to find the Jersey. And it turns out to be not the Jersey devil as we know it or knew it, but basically a woman, like a primitive cave woman that's mm-hmm. been living out here in, in the uh, forest and that and trying to survive. But, um, yeah, so it was that was definitely one where Mulder believed one thing, but it turned out to be something more based in reality right. than it was cryptozoology or what have you. He starts following the leads, and Scully's doing you know her thing, and um, I, I just really like the way that they would twist things, and, mm-hmm. and you know you think it's going to go in one direction, and then it doesn't. You know that was a surprise. And this thought, is the one. Oh, go ahead, Walker. I just thought it was interesting how, you know, the the speculation, like, well, were they, you know, cave people, and how would they have gotten lost in time? But it could have just been that they were a group of people who isolated themselves, you know, from the rest of civilization. But they were cannibals, basically, <laughs> because they found yep. flesh in, inside the the gut. Because there had been a male who had been killed i guess and then the female had to go out and procure food because at the end we saw there was at least one uh child maybe more Mm -hmm. so they were it was the line may continue 
But uh, yeah, that was interesting. You know, if you had expected to see a Bigfoot or something, you might be disappointed. But if you just let the story carry you where it's going to go, um, then I think it was an interesting twist on, you know, the usual story. Of, or if you wanted, you know, the the uh, devil-like Jersey devil with the hooves and the wings and stuff. Right. Like, you're not going to get that. You could see that on what we do in the shadows, but you're not going to see it. <laughs> you're not going to see anything like the Tasmanian devil either. <laughs> well, I mean, and that was a cool thing is like, you know, you mentioned Bigfoot or uh, Chupacabra or, you know, the Jersey devil. You hear about these mythological or cryptozoological creatures and this was just an interesting story on yeah maybe this is how the mythology took place and then the brilliant ending is that the line continues because she was with child you know so i don't know yeah uh, yeah because and that was one thing chris carter he liked the sort of open ending right um, the end of episodes the network didn't like it as much that's kind of why they wanted scully to sit there at her typewriter and give some kind of closure to each episode, but uh, he liked it leaving things open to. Well, Chris mm -hmm. Carter was a big fan of planet of the apes and, and oh, also yeah. a star Trek space seed. So he knew where things could go. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, of course it didn't go that way, but well, a little bit of uh, ambiguity. So yeah. that people could make up their minds, mm -hmm. which my, my father hated. But <laughs> I remember he watched 2001 on TV and when it ended, he got up and he tossed the TV guide on the table and he was like, well, what's that supposed to mean? And stopped <laughs> that was my that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Well, I mean, that was the network thinking. They All the network executives thought that everything needed to be wrapped up in a nice bow at the end of the right. episode and conclusion and finished and then move on to the next one. But I, th I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think X-Files was one of the first series where you had not just individual episodes and not just story arcs, but things that would happen that would carry on throughout mm -hmm. the season or throughout the series even I was just thinking and, that, uh, like, like I say, like, like the mythology of, you know, the conspiracy theories, the black oil, the, mm -hmm. you know, the government, secret government happenings and things. It's like, um, so, and, and it did kind of keep you interested because it's like you'd sit there and you'd enjoy these episodes, but then every once in a while you get a treat and here's an episode that deals with that whole arc. Right. You know, and, and, and also those, where you go back to some individual episodes again. Th those episodes also built the relationship between Scully and Mulder and their professional relationship. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, later on down the road, there is a romance. But I, it, it's it's the kiss of death, right, in, in Hollywood, when your two stars fall in love and the series tanks. So they held that off for a long time, but they really, really had this professional, not professional love, but like respect. You know what I mean? They, they worked well, yeah. they cared for each other. The Dwayne Berry episode, I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. And, and you know, Dana's disappearance or abduction. 
Um, well, I mean, Chris Carter did not want a relationship between Mulder and Scully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like in the in the pilot, I agree. She thinks that you know it's like all the victims in the pilot had these two little moles, right? And, and she thinks she has them on her back as she comes running into Mulder's hotel room, basically in a robe, and like takes it off to show him these two moles that turn out to be mosquito bites, but. You know, in that scene, it basically showed that it was like nothing sexual between the two of them. Because mm-hmm. he basically says, oh, they're mosquito bites. And oh, okay. And that's it. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you stick around, by the way? But yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it kind of served to show that they had a professional relationship, even though, you know, they did have an attraction to each other, but not in that way. Yeah. Yeah, which, which was really served served the series very well. I thought. yeah, yeah, and I thought she had an excellent, excellent episode in uh, Beyond the Sea. Mm-hmm. Oh, when her dad pass passes her, away, her dad had passed away, and there was a guy who supposedly had these psychic powers that he would be able to find missing persons. Mm-hmm. But as she's interrogating him and things. He lets out little things that maybe her father said to her or like the song beyond the sea, which he used to sing to her and he would start singing it and things like that. And then, you know, Scully being the skeptic is trying to disprove this. Like, how can this be true? But as the episode goes on, she starts believing. And when she goes in to interrogate him, She's asking him more about her father than she is about, you know, the the couple that were kidnapped. And I just thought her acting and and the way her character went from, you know, not believing to believing to maybe not believing at the end was pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, with, with all these episodes, these actors really grew into their characters and as the series went on embodied these characters and uh you don't really get that with like an eight series uh, arc you know uh, nowadays i think i mean it it took what a week to film an episode so how many weeks for 26 episodes that you're developing this character going over lines you know adding lines and and all that um by the second season, I mean, we, we still have some episodes in the first season to cover, but by the second season, they were just like on the stride. I mean, they knew uh, things inside and out, and it was great. But um, moving on. Yeah, uh, we should probably kind of get to the second season, just because otherwise we're going to have about a three-hour episode on the first season. But this is- I agree, but <laughs> real quickly, I have to mention EBE extraterrestrial biological entity and that episode huh one is that the one where they had the truck truck driver they they had the ufo on the truck okay yeah they they thought they had an alien and and at one you know all the trappings where they they get to a certain area and the the car turns off and the watch stops and Mulder's actually has two stop watches to test you know what's going on um but this is 
<laughs> this is the episode where the lone gunmen were introduced, and I oh, love yeah. the uh, lone gunmen. Um, yeah. So uh, the other thing that was interesting with this episode is um, Deep Throat, who who assists Fox with his X File investigation, gives him a photo and confirms, yeah, yeah, this is this is UFO. Go investigate over there. And and Scully's looking at is like Mulder. He's like, no, it's proof. It's just what we've been wanting, looking for. She says, Mulder. Yeah, she's trying proof. to show him like the reflection of the sun and the yes, wind is yes. wrong. It's, you know, it's and he's like, oh, but yeah. So he goes to confront um, Deep Throat and basically says, why? And Deep Throat says, you got too close. You, you got too close, and they wanted me. To, to divert your attention. And he says, who's they? And the lone gunmen were kind of explaining, you know, the ins and outs of stuff. And um, at the end of the episode, Mulder's like, well, well, what about the Tuskegee, you know, experiments? And what about this? And, and uh, you know, Watergate. And, and he says, yeah, he says, we, we throw truths and we throw lies out there. And But why? why? And Mulder's like, because, you know, basically you can't handle the truth or we can't handle the truth public as the public. And that's why they, you know, but, but that, that was one of my favorite episodes. Uh, again, the, the lone gunman got their own series. Um, and, and for a little while, for a little while. And, and they killed <laughs> just one of the things that pissed me that's off. A weird thing because I was reading about that. And it's like the series ended. It wasn't getting very good ratings. And so Chris Carter wanted to bring them back in the X-Files and the network said, we'll let you bring them back for one episode, but only if you kill them. (laughs) We don't want to see them anymore. Anyway, let's move on to season two. (laughs) But, you know, the actor who played Frohickey, Mm -hmm. the, the short one, short guy. Mm-hmm. He was actually an assistant director on the show. Right. Yeah. And it's like they couldn't find someone to play Frohickey. And then the casting agent said, how about this guy? You're so, it. <laughs> but speaking of reality crossing over into the series, uh, a little something happened between season one and two. Jillian uh, Anderson got pregnant. And so... What are we going to do? Then husband, not. Um, yeah, I saw him just fooling around. But <laughs> um, yeah, she got pregnant. So it's like, okay, what are we going to do? So at the end of season one, once they found out, uh, they basically had them close the X Files, which basically split Mulder and Scully up, which led into season two. And uh, it started off with basically with Scully getting abducted and that took her away for a few episodes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a touching season... moment that? real quick, Bob, sorry. Yeah. There's a touching moment where, you know, he's pulling the tarps off of the X-File cabinets cause you know, computers weren't what they are now. And he has Dana's FBI credentials mm-hmm. and her cross might not have been little green men it might have been later on but it, it, again that was a touching moment where 
you know, they had these these feelings for each other that weren't those kinds of feelings. I just uh, wanted to touch on that real quickly. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. But, um, but yeah, I know uh, one of my favorite episodes of the entire series was like the second episode of season two. And that was the host. Oh, mm. with the fluke man. Fluke man. Oh, fluke man. That's a great design. And apparently they, uh, they didn't have a, you know much time to put that costume together. And I guess if you were to see it, just the guy standing in the room, you might not think it was a great costume. But the way they used it in the, the episode, it was scary as hell. <laughs> just the scariest looking thing. You're sitting in a porta potty and you see like... <laughs> you know, it's funny because Chris Carter in an interview I read once, he has this innate fear of public restrooms oh. and just, you know, yeah. stories of, you know, somebody's pet alligator, they got loose in the sewers and they come up and bite you in the butt when you're trying to go to the bathroom and just the <laughs> vulnerability that you have exposing yourself to this hole. And uh, so, yeah, there's been, I mean, the, the fluke monster basically was right there. I mean, they had one of those uh, honey pot type, yeah. Uh, toilets and he comes basically it zooms down into the toilet and mm -hmm. so it's like pitch black and then suddenly you see his face kind of appear as he comes out of the water and it's just it's amazing and Chris Carter he wanted to show as little of the fluke man as possible just so those scenes would have more of an impact mm -hmm. but it was actually like a mutation he was, yeah, he was some sort of mutation. Like Russian nuclear something or other. Or, yeah. Thing. But um, the writer of the episode was actually the guy who played the fluke. Oh. I know Darren Morgan played the the fluke. Was he actually the writer of the episode? I think, I think he was. I'm pretty sure he was. And, uh, and it's funny because he thought, you know, I'm going to get in this suit. And I'm going to like move around real scary and stuff. But he said once he got into it, he couldn't move his arms. He couldn't move his legs. All he could do is kind of lay in those different sets and slither around a little bit. But um, <laughs> it was definitely a very, very cool design. And he said the one problem was there was no way for him to go to the bathroom oh. in this suit. Yeah, I read so that. He said in the scene where, uh, where Mulder jumps into the water in the sewer – because the fluke man had gotten a guy, pulled him underwater, and then uh, Mulder jumps in to find him. He goes, yeah, I had to relieve myself in that tank. So <laughs> he goes, but David Duchovny had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's funny. But no, I, I love the episode. But um, well, I guess one of you guys mentioned blood. I think that was the next episode. Just one other, I had mentioned blood. One other thing though about that episode, I mean, there's a lot of gross things with the fluke man, but one of his victims is in the, I think, is he in the shower or is he brushing his, he's brushing his teeth, I think. And he starts like coughing up this stuff and he eventually spits out like a worm. Yeah. And I know the, the, uh, Censors almost said, no way, you can't do that. And Chris Carter was like, "You got, we got to have that in the the show. That's like a big point in the show, you know, if we don't have that. Mm -hmm. But but it is, even today watching that, it's like, oh, that's so gross. 
is. <laughs> you know, it's they've had a lot of episodes that were really disgusting. I mean, when we get to season four, we'll probably hit peak disgustingness. But um, and you know which episode I'm thinking of? That's that's when my mother stopped watching. Yeah, but but uh, this one really it, it had some some tough stuff. But it was a great story, and the pacing and everything it was just perfect. So it was, yeah, definitely. I did I did bring up blood uh, when we were all yeah. messaging each other, and that was an episode. I think it was relatively early in the season. Uh, I will check and cheat. It was the third episode. It was uh, yeah, third episode of season two. And that one struck me. I, it wasn't like when I saw the list, I had no memory of seeing it. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll just watch this one again. Uh, it is surprisingly relevant, I think, Um especially because it contains a lot of uh, situations where people are being controlled through different devices. Like people will be, different folks are looking at like uh, readouts on cash registers or in elevators, and it starts urging them to like kill the people around them. And so you have these people freaking out and committing like mass murders, um, and it, it just was a really tense and freaky episode. And again, had an ending that was totally ambiguous. Like who had been sending these messages? Why were they sending these messages? And no answer to who was behind it all. Um, and it had some really good acting in it too. Some really exceptional uh, character actors, guest actors that came into the show. So. Uh, if that's one that you've skipped when you're going through and watching episodes, I'd mm -hmm. say watch Blood because it's. Uh, I did. I think I'm pretty sure I watched it like back when we were originally going to do this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but. Um, but then we kind of come on. Go to like episodes five, six. We've got Dwayne Barry and Ascension. Mm. And uh, I can't remember the actor's name who played Dwayne Barry. It's Steve Railsback. Steve Railsback. Steve Railsback. My goodness, this gentleman. He was amazing. He has made a career out of playing somewhat crazed individuals. Now, <laughs> my my first encounter with Steve Railsback uh, was in 1976. He played none other than Charles Manson oh. in the TV movie of Helter Skelter. My pretty effectively, um, I will say back back in those days, I read a lot of like I was into like serial killer stuff. Make no judgments. Um, <laughs> so I read books on like Manson and Zodiac and stuff. Um, and he was he was pretty effective in that movie. And of course, other folks who do who watch sci fi might remember him from Life Force with the. Oh, yes. Lady Vampire in Britain and stuff. Um, so, yeah, his performance in this episode, I mean, it could easily, I think, in some people's hands have gone over the top and been comical, but he goes over the top in such a manic way that it's just frightening. It is. Oh, yeah. And, and you, can, you, you can feel the tension. You can feel the fright in the hostages as he's 
yelling and screaming at them. And, uh, you know, it's basically Dwayne Barry. He basically said, you know, he claims to have been abducted. Has an implant. He (laughs) ends up in a psycho ward for better term and uh, ends up knocking out his doctor and getting out and escaping and then going in and taking a bunch of people hostage in a bank. And uh, because it has the abduction angle, even though the police and FBI that are there don't believe it, but it has that angle. They bring Mulder in to be able to talk to this guy. And, uh, you know, as long as you can keep him talking, he's not shooting people. So that's all they needed him to do is keep him talking. But of course, Mulder gets more and more involved. And of course he believes Dwayne Barry's story and, uh, agrees to a hostage. Well, basically one of the hostages gets shot and Mulder agrees to dress up as a paramedic and go in and, uh, then he gets basically swapped out for the guy who lets him go and Mulder's stuck in there. But um, it really is a really good episode. And this, I think, is this the first time they showed the little, the little green men with the big heads? Did the, I, think I don't so. think it might have been. That's a really, really scary sequence where he's in yeah. his bed and they're all surrounding him and, and just yeah, he and that scream. Ugh. And there's also the scene where they're drilling into his teeth. Yeah. Right. With a laser. And uh that's amazing too. But uh yeah, it was funny because they were ta- talking about the how they made the little green men or gray men or whatever you want to call them. And uh they said first they got these little boys, put them in the suits with the big heads, but they kept like punching each other, punching the heads and breaking them basically. So they went down to a uh, girls dance school that was by where they were shooting and got a bunch of the girls and they put them in the suits and they were content to just sit there with the big heads on and not punch <laughs> each other. So as the ser- as the series went on, they would use these girls from the dance school to be the, the aliens, but that's pretty uh, good. So, yeah, but it's uh and, you know, it was basically a two-part episode because it basically in Ascension, the next episode, he escapes and he kidnaps Dana Scully. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's basically how she becomes, quote, unquote, abducted, is basically he gives her up so they don't take him. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. Pretty wild episode. Well, and Dwayne Barry is also an ex-FBI agent, which Mulder yeah. doesn't find uh-huh. out yeah. quite a while. Um, and that also, I think, makes him even more determined to talk to, to Dwayne Barry. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it was really... Because here's a, here's a show that's basically about UFOs and monsters and creatures and things. But these two episodes... If you took that element out of it, the first episode is basically like a cop show with a hostage situation. Mm -hmm. And you have to basically negotiate and get the hostages out without them being injured. Second episode is a flat out kidnapping. 
and Mulder chasing down all the clues to find out, you know, where Dana Scully is. And there's one point, I think a cop pulls him over and he's got the dash cam in his car that, uh, records everything. And the cop ends up being shot. But when Dwayne Barry goes and opens up the back trunk, then you see an image of there's Dana Scully in the car and Fox or Mulder sees that. And then he's more determined. He's like, she's still alive and he's more determined to go out and find her. But, um, you know, they're just both, both could just be, you know, the scripts from a cop show, you know, and, or an FBI show or something without, the sci-fi element and hold up just as well. You also have that segment where Mulder is trying to get to the top of the mountain in the cable car. And I think it's Krychek that sabotage. And we haven't talked about Krychek yet. Yeah, no, Krychek. Yeah. So that's a a whole nother thing. Well, when they, when they do away the X-Files and they split up Mulder and Scully, Mulder gets a new uh, assistant a new partner and that's Alex Krychek. Man, as the series goes on, no. anytime he shows up, you know, it's bad news, yep. bad news, bad news. And it's, you know, he's kind of like, he's kind of like the cigarette smoking man. And he kind of works for him. But whereas a cigarette smoking man is the background guy. Krychek is definitely foreground. He's the one that'll go out and kill people and do what he has to do, you know, for the whole government conspiracy stuff. But, um, yeah, he turns, he starts out as like a, a green rookie. Right. Just wanting to be an FBI agent and work with Mulder. And then from there, he basically gets taken over by the cigarette smoking man and his group. And becomes an agent of evil. (laughs) (laughs) Becomes an agent of doom. (laughs) Hail Hydra. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but um, one of the episodes I wanted to talk about in the second season, I'm going to butcher this. So you guys help me. Oh, I wonder if it's it's the one I'm thinking of. The the Satanists. The the Handy Verlets. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And um great one. What was the lady's name? Like Phyllis Paddock was the substitute teacher. Oh yeah, yeah. Um she yeah. was really yeah, she was really something. And you know, there's this uh you know, she's substitute substitute teacher, and there's this cult, Satan cult. And um what I thought was funny is Scully's like, well, they're Satanists, Mulder. Why? Why are you gonna? These are parents, and he's like, she's like, there, there's been sacrifices. No, 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 uh, Scully. The modern Satanists have sworn off human sacrifices, so these aren't old school. These are modern. <laughs> what a bizarre thing! Because they're finding dead bodies. Um, the, the the substitute has a, a human heart in in her desk drawer and. Um, anyway, there, there's this scene where they're dissecting piglets in, in one of the classrooms mm-hmm. and she's handing out these, you know, piglets or she says they're they're actually baby hogs. And um, this uh, python is in this classroom. And this is like, a, you know, huge 
huge python and she throws a pig to the python anyway later on in the episode she's doing some hoodoo voodoo and she gets the snake eyes her eyes become like snakes scared the bejesus out of me very very <laughs> effective special effect um it, it, it and she had you know if, if she got an artifact of yours, like this one girl is her bracelet and she's doing her, you know, cult thing. And um, the girl ends up cutting her wrist because, you know, she was, Paddock was telling her to do that with Mulder and Scully, they get captured at the end of the episode. And I guess they're feuding between each other. And instead of the Satanists killing Mulder and Scully, because they believe that there's a sacrifice, Paddock has them, kills themselves sparing Mulder and Scully and she leaves a sign that says goodbye it's been nice working with you <laughs> and and she gets away and she never shows up again at least that I'm aware of in in later episodes it's one of those classic episodes where it was creepy it was spooky and the person got away kind of funny yeah. And also I'm thinking oh go ahead, what, Walker. Well, do you think she was the devil? <laughs> maybe. I, you know, yeah, maybe. I think it's a good possibility. So Yeah. It was it was a very interesting episode. I, I will say too, you know, with it, it was, it was with all the episodes where there's sometimes they don't catch the crook, sometimes they don't catch the the person. Tombs, you know, part two of Tombs definitely had a finality to it. We're not going to see Tombs again. Um, but other than Tombs, I don't know that there was ever, other than Krychek, he, he showed up, you know, several times, cigarette smoking man, et cetera, et cetera, the cartel and stuff like that. But I don't think any of the monsters or any of the, you know. It was a recurring stuff. monster. Yeah, other yeah. than tombs. <clears throat> all the, the worst monsters were all the human beings, really. Yeah. You know, of, of note, too, this was the last episode Glenn Morgan and James Wong worked on before they went to do Space Above and Beyond. One of my beloved shows that failed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, I, it failed, and it, it's so sad. They end up coming back. You know, after that, but um, great show. Back to yeah, where they they're go. great writers too. So yeah. I don't know. How they? What was that, Bob? Back to where they belong. Back to, back to where they belong. Back home to the X Files. Get back. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really good episode. I enjoyed that one as well. Yeah. Another episode I, that really got me was Humbug. Oh yeah, that's with all that's the sideshow so performers in the mm -hmm. town. Yes, that guy with all the tattoo, the puzzle, and yeah, because he was uh, basically would eat anything. <laughs> they show him with like this big pile of crickets over his mouth, and he's like eating all these crickets and things. And I guess a lot of the uh, sideshow performers in that episode were actual sideshow performers, yeah. right? And they're uh, from Jim Rose's circus. Yeah, there was one part where uh, one of the producer, I think the director of the episode, was saying that. Uh, there's one one scene in the episode where Scully takes a cricket and pretends like she eats it. And then later on, she like reaches behind Mulder's ear and pulls it out from behind his ear like a <laughs> type of thing because he thinks that she really ate it. 
But in the episode, they told Jillian Anderson, we're going to need you to put a cricket in your mouth. And she goes, that's okay. I already have. Um, (laughs) And she was hanging out with the guy. And she, when she was talking to she he talked her into eating a cricket. So she had already eaten a cricket. <laughs> so in the scene, she put that cricket in her mouth, really, and chewed it up. And then the director said when she got off the camera, she spit it out. But it was just like completely chewed by the time she spit it out. So Jillian uh, Anderson, Joe. <laughs> a lot of good method acting in that that person. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I was very, you know, because you had the one guy who had the kind of Siamese twin. Yeah. Right. Turned out to be what was killing everybody in that. And the, uh, and that guy basically ate it. And at the very end, they had a great line. So the very end, he's like in the car with one of the other performers and they're getting ready to leave. And, uh, he's just kind of like, looks kind of sick and stuff. And, um, they ask, you know, are you okay? What's the matter? And the guy goes, oh, it's just something he ate disagreed with him or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yes. That was a good episode. Uh, you know, it's a shame. And I know, uh, you know, people are going to comment, well, you didn't cover this episode. You didn't talk about that episode. Um, we would do this for like hours if if we covered every single episode and even in the you know the first two seasons there's over 40 episodes so well i mean keep in mind when we first tried to do this we were going to do like four seasons yeah yeah you're all night possible yeah exactly so um uh do you guys have another episode or two you want to talk about before we uh we get into the censor suite i'd say you know we should probably talk about um like anasazi Okay, that's, that's that was, was like the say. last episode of the season, right? And uh, and the one thing about that episode, I think I think the, the one that preceded it was it introduced the American Indians or the, the Native Americans who would go on in the series because it turned out that back in the war and that they would use these Native Americans to memorize code you know, break codes and things. And uh, they would become a big part of mythology as this, as the series went on. Right. Yeah. It, it was a solid episode, too. Yeah. But, and there, was, um, there was a real thing from World War Two, the Navajo <laughs> code talkers. So they, they just took, they, they would do that. I think that was really a, a neat part of the show is they would incorporate a lot of real things from history and then just kind of give it an X-Files twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they would definitely research an episode and find, you know, it's almost like fantasy is stranger than reality, some, or reality is stranger than, than fiction sometimes because they go out and do some research and suddenly they find things that, oh, I didn't think about that, or I can put this in the episode or whatever. Um, and one thing, you know, when it, when I watch these old episodes, the one thing that really kind of stands out, and, and you know, this was like mid-90s, so it's what, 30 years ago? Yeah, because this is the 30th anniversary oh, yeah. of X-Files. Yep. 
the phones are like shoe boxes that they, there's mobile phones are like the size of shoe boxes. They hold them <laughs> up to their ear. You see computers and they're the big old CRT computers with the, you know, five and a quarter inch floppy drives. And, um, yeah, just looking at the technology back then is just a lot of fun. Yeah. Those phones were like walkie talkies with the antenna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that was one of my first ones was, it was huge, but, um, yeah, and you know, X Files just here's where it has more of an effect on you. I was like year before last, driving up to a trade show in Vegas for work. And uh as I'm driving through the desert, I have my GPS going, and then suddenly I look at the GPS and the the little car on the GPS is out in the middle of the desert somewhere. I'm like, I know I'm still on this freeway, but it's showing me out <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the desert. And I thought, you know, this is how abductions start, right? Prequel to an abduction. That's they right. Start messing with your electronics and things go haywire. And before I know it, something's going to come down and take me away. But eventually the- it glitched back in. Back in the <laughs> Glad you're still with us, Bob. Well, I thought for sure that this is it. I'm, Gonna get taken. Those bastards from Planet Nine can't have you. <laughs> They're coming um, after me, I tell you. One of the fun things with this episode is uh the truth is out there was written in Navajo. Yeah. And and I can't pronounce uh unfortunately, but also oh. Chris Carter played a senior FBI agent. A little cameo in this episode. So he kind of pulled a Hitchcock, which was cool. Definitely cool. Yeah. So this is going to close out our one and two first and second season of the X-Files. As I said before, if you guys are listening or watching, head over to Facebook, Twitter. uh, Where else are we? YouTube and Instagram. And you can comment what are some of your favorite episodes. Or, uh, you know, did you bump into a fluke monster out at the bog? Or, um, or did you almost get abducted out in the uh, desert somewhere? <laughs> or did you almost get abducted? <laughs> um, okay, so I tell you what, this gets us into our sensor sweep. And, and let me just start off that if you folks are not watching Ahsoka, this last episode, Bob, Karen, did you see it? I don't want to spoil. Yeah. I really love this last episode. Oh. Man, uh, you know, the, the way that they brought Anakin into this and, and you know, the young Ahsoka and, you know, the world in between worlds story and, and stuff is just. Uh, well, to get to see the, the Clone Wars in real life, not real life, but to see it in, in live action as yeah. opposed to uh, animation was really cool. And then street. just the the uh, interaction between Ahsoka and Anakin and obviously sort of her unresolved feelings about when she was a Padawan and how it all took place during war and everything. That was really, I thought it was a really good, really good story. But it was like two episodes in one because you have the whole thing with her and Anakin and then you have the whole thing with the whales and so it was oh, like... Yeah. Felt like like watching two episodes, but it was good. I enjoyed it. It was good. 
And uh, Bob, you're you're kind of so-so with the Soka still? No, I was never so-so. I, I, I would put it second to Mandalorian. Oh, nice. But still light years ahead of Andor or... Uh, <laughs> Leave Andor alone. It's a slow burn. Andor, Boba Fett, and Obi-Wan. Well, Obi-Wan's kind of like on the fence. Andor oh, and Boba Fett can go away, except for the two episodes that the Mandalorian were in. <laughs> uh, Mandalorian, I love the Mandalorian. And, you know, Soka, like I say, it's, you know, it's yeah. right, up, right up there, close well, to Mandalorian. But not. What else are you guys reading, watching, doing? Well, uh, we watch a lot of X Files. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Right? <laughs> I I discovered this show. I've been waiting for it uh, on Apple TV called The Changeling, and it's based on a novel. And I can't think of the author's name offhand, but it's on Apple TV. First two episodes, and it is a slow burn, but it's so good. Um, you know, it, it kind of jumps backwards, forwards, current as far as time goes. And uh, in the story and the characters, it's very interesting. Um, so if you guys have Apple TV, what's that? Is it a ghost story? Uh, the, so far, there was a witch by a waterfall. Okay. That uh, gives one of the characters a bracelet that will grant her three wishes if she does not remove the bracelet. Hmm. If she removes the bracelet, there's a curse. And um, stupidly, her fiancé removes the bracelet. I won't get into the whole and and uh, the shit's starting to hit the fan. But again, it's only the second episode, so um, it, it's not like bleh, like Walking Dead. Um, but it, it's uh, like a psychological, like, is she seeing what she's seeing? Is she hearing what she's hearing? Um, she gets these weird texts with photos of her husband and her child from his cell phone, but there's no record of it. And nor did he take that selfie. Um, so it's, it's just this really weird. Uh, well, you know, speaking of The Walking Dead. Daryl Dixon. I have been watching Daryl Dixon. I, it's on my list. And Lieutenant Debbie and I are definitely enjoying it. I'm I'm hearing it. It's kind of like uh, the Mandalorian, where he has a nice little uh, person that he's trying to take care of, or maybe not the Mandalorian, but um, no, he, you know, there's Blasphemous. kids in it. He kind of reluctantly has to take care of some, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. I, you know, I yeah. enjoy it. They still haven't fully revealed how the hell he got over to Paris or over to France. Okay. But um, you, you, get, you get little, <laughs> you get little flashbacks. Maybe okay. he was abducted, and that's where they dumped him. But <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely like little flashbacks where you kind of see. That's what they need to, do. to what's been happening. But uh, no, that's good. And of course, I'm uh, neck deep in Ultraman Blazar. So enjoying this one much more than a lot of the recent ones. Because recent, no. what they do now is it's like they have multiple forms and different armors and everything else, so they can show sell a bunch of toys. But so far, through <laughs> ten or eleven episodes, 
no armor, no other forms, just okay. yeah. He has some different rays he does every once in a while, but um yeah. So it's more down to earth and it's actually really good. Okay. All right, cool. Um, and then I uh, I've got a press link to a show I'm gonna watch later that I'll talk about it when they let me talk about it. Okay. Talk about it now, they'll have to kill me. So hey, it's very <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> they yeah, who are they anyway? The X Files. What about you, Walker? You got anything besides X Files you've been watching? Well, the only thing genre related that I've been watching is my DVD collection of The Invaders, a Quinn Martin production. I'm going to start watching that very soon. Okay, I, I guess I have never seen an episode of The Invaders. <laughs> Larry will be the only one left out. It's funny because when I went down with Keith Aiken to Hollywood and we were going down there for the uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters premiere at Groma's Chinese. And we went to a press screening on Friday and we saw the actual, and then we saw it again at Groma's on uh, Saturday. <clears throat> but after we saw it on uh, Friday, we're driving back to the hotel and I look over and one of the buildings has a big sign on it that says the invaders in the logo of the series. And uh, I have no idea. I don't know what it was all about. I don't know if they, if it was shot there or what it was, but yeah, they had a big invader sign outside the building. That's interesting. But yeah, I've been wanting to watch it. So I now have an excuse. So. One of the, get Larry with peer pressure and we'll do an episode sometime. One of the things that I'm enjoying about watching it, I've only gotten four episodes in so far, but but the guest stars are so interesting. And then so many of them, because I recognize most of the guest stars because they're all the people who were on TV in the 60s and 70s. And yeah. then so many of them have Star Trek connections. So I'll sit there and watch an episode and go, Oh, he was in Return of the Archons, or oh, you know that's that's um, Stan, you know, or oh, that's you know whoever. So, yeah, it's it's fun to watch and see all these guest stars and say, yeah, that's they used to be on this show and blah 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 blah. So it was when Tipring did not take Spock and she went off with Font with Son. <laughs> she basically ended up rejecting him. And so he said, well, I guess I'll go on the invaders instead. I'll, I'll work with these invaders. <laughs> That's right. This is kind of like exciting. You see all these like stars from other. I remember how excited I was watching the Love Boat and Charo showed up. I was like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it was because of, never mind. I also have one, of, oh, which this might be Larry's thing, and I don't know how well this will show up because my background is fake. <laughs> this is too good for those so of you watching on YouTube. You can kind of see it. Can kind of see it. It's the Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, the Very making nice. of the classic film by the Tenudos, who I got to say hello to on Twitter because I was plugging the book, and they were overjoyed. I said, "Thank you, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you." It is a really, really nice book, and I. I have to say, I have to thank Larry because he uh, he mentioned it on his Twitter. And I was like, what? I didn't know anything about it. So I ordered it. 
And uh, even though I feel like a lot of times, like, uh, you know, there's nothing new about Star Trek that I haven't heard. I've heard all the stories. Um, This book has photos I haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. There's some info I haven't heard before. And there's people interviewed that I haven't seen interviewed before. So I, I definitely would say every Star Trek fan uh, needs to get this book. What do you think, Larry? I, I agree. It, it's a it's a work of love. Um, you know, they they did some good research. There's great interviews, like you said, pictures and interviews mm-hmm. I'd never seen or, or read before. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it's just it's 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 a great book overall. I mean, they, they did a good job and uh, it's still, I think it's still available on Amazon. You got to be careful because a lot of the stuff, you know, sells right. out on Amazon. You got to go look. That's uh, what I was worried about. Why I went ahead. I, at first I thought, well, I'll just put it on my wish list. And I thought, God, that's too far away. <laughs> it, it was going to be get it right gift, now. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> gonna, but uh, cool. But yeah, hey. I'm glad you got it. Well, look what I found along the way as uh, we were trying to do X-File episodes. I've got this book. Ooh. Oh, I haven't seen that before. That's the X-File. And I'll shine a little light on here because I got to read it. <laughs> the X-Files official archives, cryptics, biological anomalies, and parapsychic phenomena. Nice. So it's it's a pretty cool book. And I haven't like gone through and read it yet, but it's basically laid out like case files. Hmm. And it go it covers all the uh that wasn't a very exciting page. <laughs> it covers all the uh creatures and all the things that they encounter, aliens and whatever they encounter throughout the series. So very uh, nice. Fairly thick book. And hardcover. Was that on Amazon or at a bookstore? I was walking through this. I did this the old fashioned way. I was walking through Barnes and Noble. (laughs) And uh, I basically said, well, I'm going to go look at their film and movie section or films and TV section. I went down there and I was looking. And uh, all of a sudden, right there on the spine, it said X Files. I'm like, we're going to do some X-Files, so I'm going to grab that book. Very nice. So, Very timely as well. No, um, definitely. I didn't... I'm glad you shared the book, Karen. Uh, <laughs> I have something related. The season three, for those of you watching on YouTube... Nice. Uh, Blu-ray with... Um, this is a, a metal... Uh, cover with over two and a half hours of special features. Season three of those not watching on season three of Picard. You just held up a disc, uh, a set from Picard season three. Yes. For those of you on YouTube, I I just, uh, and then, uh, because you didn't, you didn't say it was Picard. Oh, okay. Uh, My apologies. I'm I'm new to this audio stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then on, uh, the the uh, show of the X Files from La La Land. I couldn't. The X Files soundtrack, music Ooh, composed by Mark Snow, Volume One, 
uh, original soundtrack from the Fox television series. This sucker has four CDs Sick. in it. Yes. Um, La La Land had a sale. And um, I, I have several uh, or a couple of, of X-Files CDs, but I had to get this baby and it does not disappoint. Yeah, I don't know uh, if the sale is still going on because I alerted Larry to the sale, but it was yeah. too close to uh, payday for me. I couldn't couldn't pull the trigger well, right and and i think they were on they they had it on twitter too bob or maybe it was facebook because i follow them somewhere so you clued me in on it i ordered it and then it shows up in my feed um <laughs> and it's limited to two thousand units so even if it's not on sale anymore uh i'd grab it if you're a fan it it's it's really good and you know the liner notes um for those of you on youtube it's a nice, sick little pamphlet with a lot of good information and some interviews in there. So definitely worth the investment if you have a chance. Yeah, I was just wondering, because they have like, what, about five or six volumes of that? Yeah, I mean. And it's like, if you get the first season, is that the first season or first couple or how, how many seasons? This is the first couple. So like it has... Um, Piper Maru, uh, Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Oh, that's Legends of a Cigarette Smoking Man. Um, so I'm wondering, like, if you buy the first set, how much of that music, like, recurs or whatever on the, I mean, yeah. are the other sets different enough that you're going to want to buy all these sets or what? Um, I did not think so, but you buyers may. You uh, never know. You know, think otherwise. If they go on sale again, will I get the second volume? Perhaps. But but we'll see. Well, it's funny because, like, I got that big set of CDs from the original Star Trek. Oh. And, you know, it goes by episode. Mm -hmm. And I say, oh, well, I want to listen to the arena. They don't have the arena on there. I'm like, why don't they have the arena on there? Well, there's no new music recorded for that episode it was all music that was used in previous episodes right so they didn't bother like repeating it and putting it in there so but, you'd have to look for whatever episode it was in you know yeah the first go around because they would they would reuse the stuff from the pond far and you know uh, i think the, <laughs> when kirk meets up with finnegan they you know use that later but um well, I think we could all agree seasons one and two had better music than season three. But that's... Yeah. So yeah. it's the same way with X-Files, you know? I, well, and that's what I was thinking, Bob. I, I may get volume two down the road, but, yeah. you know, as it is, this has, like, the X-Files main title. Then they have a short version. They have the end credits. They have the main title remix, short version. Uh, the main title for the seventh season. Ah, so it does jump around seasons. Um, anyway, you know, good. Like I said, good stuff if you if you're interested. <laughs> Definitely. So, my friends, do we have anything else we would like to uh, to add to the show before we sign off? Well, here's a question for you. Yes. Do you trust no one? 
Or do you want to believe? I want to deny everything. (laughs) I I will say one. Or is the truth really out there? One of the wonderful things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, How long has it been since the X-Files premiered? And and yet just a couple months ago, there were congressional hearings about we don't call them UFOs anymore. We call them, you know, whatever. UAPs. Uh, yeah, and it's it's UFOs a is perfect area phenomenon. So it's a wonderful thing that, and now NASA's charged to investigate, you know, and they're saying, well, you know, we don't know the, the origin is from outer space, but it it's just it's a fun little mythology to to. Well, see, X Files was on like thirty years ago back when conspiracy theories were kind of fun to think about. Yeah. Now, now it's nothing but conspiracy theories. Now, it, now it's nothing but. There's so much disinformation and misinformation that, you know, it's. But, you know, true believers, I'm still in search of Noah's Ark. So <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to tie it off. That's I'm on a mountain somewhere. There, yeah, that's right. So. Hey, we appreciate you guys. We love doing this. We love hearing from you. So like we said earlier, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, you know, reach out, uh, like and subscribe YouTube if you get to do so. And um, stay safe. Take care of each other. We got some good stuff coming up to, to tie up the end of the year. Um, hey, we so. got Halloween coming up. Oh boy! Two big Halloween type episodes. Always a big, big holiday here on Planet Eight. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and Bob and I are going to have some some awesome things to share in the censor sweep that wind up in the backyard in the front lawn for Halloween. So I I just tell you, stay tuned, kids. Um, Like I said, stay safe, take care of yourselves. End transmission. Let's sign off. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.